Trapcast Express. Tradcast Express. It's Monday, April 24th, 2017, and today we're going to have a look at the Laylit Conference on Amoris Laetitia that took place just this past Saturday, April 22nd, just outside the Vatican at the Hotel Columbus in Rome. There were six lay speakers in total, and one of them was Claudio Pierantoni, a professor of medieval philosophy at the University of Chile. His presentation was entitled, The Need for Consistency Between Magisterium and Tradition, Examples from History, and it was posted at the Rorate Celi blog on April 23rd. Once again, trying to find some sort of historical precedent for the doctrinal disaster that is Pope Francis, Pierantoni brought up the cases of, you guessed it, Popes Liberius and Honorius I. Regarding Pope Honorius, he quotes, of course, the Third Council of Constantinople in 681, which includes, it is true, a condemnation of Pope Honorius as a heretic, but when the council issued this condemnation on March 28, 681, it did so without the pope, because there was no pope reigning at the time. It was sede vacante, and without the approval of the pope, a council is practically worthless. The next pope, Leo II, was elected on August 17th of 682, almost a year after the council was over. And when he, Pope Leo II, approved the council, he approved the condemnation of Pope Honorius only insofar as Honorius was guilty of negligence by not sufficiently suppressing and unwittingly favoring the heresy of monothelitism because of how he expressed himself in a letter to the Patriarch Sergius. Now, Pierantoni more or less says as much, but then he also says that Pope Honorius was condemned for heresy. Well, not really. He was condemned for abetting heresy, for not doing enough to stamp it out. A lot of ink has been spilled over the years about the Pope Honorius case. On Novos Ordo Watch, we are going to publish at some point a big post on it for our series, The Heretical Popes, of which we've published only one part so far on Pope Adrian VI. The reason it's taking so long is that this is the kind of thing you need to do not quickly, but thoroughly, else nothing is gained. In the meantime... Uh, people interested in the facts about the Pope Honorius case may want to turn to Volume 5 of the uh, History of the Councils of the Church by the Right Reverend Charles Joseph Heffaly. Uh, you can find that for free online at books.google.com. Again, that's Volume 5 of A History of the Councils of the Church by Father Charles Heffley, and that's H-E-F-E-L-E. By the way, these historical parallels that people are always trying to find in order to shed some light on what to do with Francis will all fail because Francis is a manifest public heretic, and such a thing has never happened before, meaning there has never been a public manifest heretic who was also a valid pope at the same time, because such a thing is an impossibility. It's like saying that there can be a non-Catholic Catholic. 
Uh, no, there can't. It's a contradiction in terms. Now, regarding Pope Honorius's letter to Sergius, even if it had contained heresy, which it didn't, but even if it had, it was not a public letter, but a private one. It wasn't even discovered, uh, or made public at least, until after Pope Honorius had already died. So, even if it were a heretical document, it would not have made Pope Honorius a public heretic. So, on that score alone, there is no comparison with Francis. But, you know, this whole uh, correcting and condemning a heretical pope thing that many people are envisioning is really flawed in principle. Think about it. If Pope Honorius had been a heretic and condemned as one by Pope Leo II, how would a Catholic know if perhaps in the future Pope Leo II would not be condemned as a heretic and Honorius vindicated again? See, once you admit the idea that a pope can be a heretic and still be a true pope, it's over. But Pierantoni does make a very good point in his presentation. He says, quote, The deposit of faith preserved by the tradition is not a system of merely human, fallible thought, where an incoherent or erroneous element could be introduced, which could then be corrected without harm, even to the benefit of the truth, unquote. Precisely. See, but now Pierantoni also needs to apply this to his very own case. Do you really think that the Pope could now withdraw Amoris Laetitia or correct the heresies in it and all would be fixed? Nah, that balloon has already been popped. It's over. Remember, it's really not just about communion for unrepentant adulterers. It's about the entire foundation of Catholic morality. And uh, Pierantoni says as much. In Amoris Laetitia, Francis has basically turned the Ten Commandments into the Ten Ideal Suggestions. And he's, he's transformed the very notion of sin from a voluntary transgression of the divine law into mm, an attempt at virtue that has not quite succeeded in reaching its goal. I mean, that document, Amoris Laetitia is blatantly and fundamentally heretical. And that's not just us Sede Vacantes saying that. Even, even conservative novels ordos have used the word heresy to describe the content of Amoris Laetitia. So by correcting, as it were, Amoris Laetitia, nothing would be gained at all. The horse is already out of the barn. You can close the barn door now all you want, and you can put extra security locks on it and whatever, but it's already too late. The doctrine that the papal magisterium can safely be followed at all times has already been violated. To try to fix it now by means of a correction after the fact won't accomplish anything. And as for the accusation that Pope Liberius was a heretic and excommunicated St. Athanasius, John Daly has completely dismantled that myth. And uh, you can find all the evidence. It's very well documented. You can find all that evidence uh, on our blog at novosordowatch.org slash wire. novosordowatch.org slash wire. Just type Pope Liberius into the search box at the top right, and you will get the posts pertaining to that issue. You know, one thing I'd like to know is, 
why are people making such a big fuss about Amoris Laetitia and yet are virtually silent on all of Francis's other heresies and blasphemies? Why is there a conference on Amoris Laetitia and not one on Francis's naturalism, his ecumenism of blood, his indifferentism, and so forth? This odd double standard is nothing new, though. Where were the conferences, the petitions, the outrage when Joseph Ratzinger as Archbishop of Munich denied Catholic teaching on original sin, for example? When as the head of the Congregation for the Destruction of the Faith, he denied the dogma of papal primacy? When as Pope Benedict XVI, he said that he has respect for the Muslim Koran, which is heretical and blasphemous? Where was the outrage, where were the conferences and the petitions when Pope John Paul II claimed that non-Christians' firm adherence to their errors is the effect of the Holy Ghost? Yeah, he said that in his 1979 encyclical, Redemptor Hominis, number 6. You can look it up on the Vatican website. John Paul II, encyclical, Redemptor Hominis, number 6. So what is going on here? Why is the outrage so selective? Why is orthodoxy always reduced to being orthodox only on matters of the sixth and the ninth commandments? Now, before we close, on a related note, everybody is so gung-ho about getting Francis to answer the dubia or clarify Amoris Laetitia, like we didn't long have all the clarity we need. But what is the point? I mean, what would happen if he actually did answer the dubia? Nothing, really. Because whichever side loses, so to speak, would simply resist. And everything else would keep going on as before. See, in the Novus Ordo Church, the papacy is not only completely useless, but actually the biggest stumbling block to Catholicism. It's the biggest obstacle of orthodoxy. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, all the Vatican II reforms came from the Vatican. And the funny thing is that people keep getting told that uh, they need to read this or that papal document in continuity with tradition, right? Well, why don't they just write it in continuity with tradition? How's that for a change? All right. Lastly, the idea of the fraternal correction of Francis in case he doesn't answer the dubia. Well, uh, here too, you have to you have to ask yourself, what do these people think that that would accomplish? At best, they would have a bunch of supposed cardinals in direct and public opposition to the supposed pope on a matter of doctrine. And then what? The papal magisterium trumps any lesser magisterium in the Catholic Church. So for people who hold that Francis is the vicar of Christ, well, they would actually have to go with him, with Francis. Welcome to the papacy. So that whole fraternal correction thing wouldn't accomplish anything either. So, folks, in the end, it's all a big dog and pony show for nothing. All it accomplishes is it distracts you from the reality that the Vatican II sect is a fraud and Francis is not the Pope of the Catholic Church. They always need to give traditionalists in their church something to hang their hopes on, 
to make sure they don't become Sedeva Countess. It's worked for them for decades, and they will continue using the strategy for as long as people still fall for it. Don't be one of them. Tratcast Express is a production of Novus Auto Watch. Check us out at tratcast.org. And if you like what we're doing, please consider making a tax-deductible contribution at novusordowatch.org slash donate.